You're now listening to Living Faith Fellowship in Klamath Falls, Oregon. This week's sermon, we continue on in our verse-by-verse study of 1 Corinthians. We will be in chapter 13, verses 1 through 10, and the sermon is titled, What's Love Got to Do With It? Clearly, we're going to talk about love this week and what love does and what love does not do. And so open your Bibles with us to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 1. We live in a time where the word love has lost most of its meaning and impact on society. Test me on this. We may hear someone say they love someone else one day, and the very next day they say, I have fallen out of love with that same person. In our day of social media, you may read on someone's Facebook page, in a relationship, I love them. The next day you'll read on that same Facebook page, in a relationship, but it's complicated. Then finally, that same person's status a couple days later says, no longer in a relationship, I hate that guy. Well, I'm a firm believer that our society does not have a good understanding on the definition of love. I believe part of the society's problem is, is that we place conditions on love. I love you if, I love you if you do this or that. And, and we put these conditions on it, and that's why it's so hard when a non-believer hears about the unconditional love of Jesus Christ. Because how can that be right? Humans place conditions on all of our love. But the love that Jesus Christ offers is completely, 100% without condition. But then, after we accept his love, then he tells us everything we do is to be done because we love him. Keep that thought in the back of your mind as you open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 as we once again join that letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. Real quickly, last time we were in Corinthians, we learned that there are different functions for each one of us within the body of Christ. We learned that there's different offices and different gifts, but we were all given gifts, catch this, and this is the key, as the Lord deemed necessary we need each other the lord designed his body the church to act as a family you know so many times we forget that we are a family and we are members individually of his body and we have forgotten that and and so today we're going to learn about the greatest gift and that's agape love all right so if you have your sermon notes Love adds value to everything. If your Bibles are open, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, start with verse 1. The Apostle Paul says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. In 1984, the great theologian Tina Turner wrote a song (laughs) titled, What's Love Got to Do With It? Let me just give you a couple of her lyrics. In the song, she says about love that it's only physical. It's only logical. You must try to ignore that it means more than that. Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? What's love, catch this, but a second-hand emotion? 
F.F. Bruce said, the most lavish exercise of spiritual gifts cannot compensate for a lack of love. We've previously learned several times that the New Testament was written in what's known as Koine Greek, and in the Koine Greek, there are actually four words for love that we have one in English. You know, we say, I love my hot dog, I love my dog, I love my wife, I love my Camaro, I love, I love, I love. But in the Koine Greek, there's actually four words. Let's go over them really quickly. First is the word eros, which is erotic or sexual love. The next one is storge, which refers to a family love, the kind of love between a parent and a child, family members in general. Then there's the word phileo, and of course Philadelphia, right? Brotherly love. This is brotherly love or brotherly affection. This is a deep friendship. Catch this about phileo, though, and I thought this was pretty interesting. Phileo can be described as the highest form of love that man can do without the Holy Spirit. That's the highest form of love you can have without the Holy Spirit, is to love someone deeply like a brother. Okay? And then there's agape. And agape is an unconditional giving love. Love without changing or expecting something in return. Agape. And of course, a lot of people say agape, but it's agape. Trust me, Blue Letter Bible told me how to pronounce it. But agape is the type of love that Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians 13. And, and you got to understand, Tina Turner says, it's nothing but a secondhand emotion. Agape has nothing to do with emotion. Nothing at all. It has to do with self-denial. When someone says, I fell out of love with that person, they don't understand what love is. So the Corinthian Christians, you've got to understand, they were obsessed with the sign gifts, especially speaking in tongues. They were obsessed with it. And so Paul wants to explain to them, let me tell you what the most important spiritual gift of all is, and it's agape love. Now, last time when Andy preached, we learned from the practical application in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, that it seemed to be a contradiction. Paul has said up to this point, you know, don't seek these gifts, don't seek those gifts, don't seek these gifts. But then in 1231, it kind of says, seek these gifts. But we got to realize something. When the original writing was done, there were no chapter breaks. There, there were no individual verses. This was simply a letter from the Apostle Paul, start to finish. There were no chapters. Man did that many years later. And, and so hear this without a chapter break. Without the break, it reads like this. 1 Corinthians 1231 but earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet, I show you a more excellent way. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Do you understand? There's no break there. Someone put chapter 12, chapter 13, but that's not what Paul meant at all. Paul's like, seek the best gifts. And by the way, here it is. It's love. Seek the best gifts. And I'm going to show you the best way. The Apostle Paul previously named several spiritual gifts. But he also taught over and over, and he's going to teach us again, that no matter what gift you have, without love, that gift is completely useless. 100% useless. There in your notes, Warren Wiersbe said, Ministry without love cheapens both the minister and those who are touched by it. 
But ministry with love enriches the whole church. Ministry without love cheapens it. That hurts. And, and although, again, many people want to focus on a certain spiritual gift within the Bible, Paul clearly says, you want the most excellent one? You want the best one? Love without condition. Yeah, but. You know what that person did to me? No, love without condition. Yeah, but. We all have a bad case of the yeah, buts when it comes to God's word, right? Matthew Paul said about tongues of angels, it could mean and it could demonstrate how God speaks to us in a nonverbal way. But then notice what Paul said. Bestow all my gifts to feed the poor. I give everything I have to feed the poor, yet have not love. It means zilch. In Matthew 19, a rich young ruler, maybe you remember the story Jesus was telling, a rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, hey, what good thing do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus kind of hits him right where he lives, right? Goes right to the heart of the matter. I love how Jesus does that. Matthew 19, 21, Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, go, sell what you have, and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Here's the issue, though. Even if that rich young ruler went and sold everything he had and gave every penny to the poor, yet he had not love, it did him no good at all. He may as well have kept his stuff. And then notice, though I give my body to be burned, even if someone is martyred for their faith, quote unquote, but does not have agapea love, it means nothing, absolutely nothing. Matthew Paul said it this way, even if I freely give up myself to any kind of cruel kind of death, without love it profits me nothing. You see, love is the best evidence that God's hands in a ministry. If you want to look around and say, you know, surely God is moving, show me love. If you can't show me love, I don't know if God's moving or not. Love is the best evidence. So how do we get that agape love? That's what I want to know, right? Because if Paul's saying, desire this gift, go get it and stick with it, how do I get it? Well, that same word is used by the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, there in your notes. Romans 5.5, 5. now hope does not disappoint because the agape, love of God, has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So how do we get it? The love of God was poured out into your hearts by the Holy Spirit. Can't work for it, can't beg for it, can't stand on your head for it. The Holy Spirit has to give it to you. That's the only way to get it. So love adds value to our giftedness. Roman numeral two, but love also edifies. Love edifies. Look at the first part of verse four. It says, love suffers long and is kind. Love suffers long. God's love is shown when his people edify each other. We've learned a couple weeks ago that the whole idea, the whole reason the Lord gave spiritual gifts was for the edification of the whole body. We've got it so backwards. So many people want to say, you know, I was given this gift because I'm so wonderful, or I was given this gift because I got secret knowledge, or I was given this gift because I've studied hard. 
And yet we've been told over and over again, you were given a spiritual gift for the edification of the whole body. It's not for you. It's for everybody else. 1 Corinthians 14, 12, and we're going to study this in the coming weeks, says, even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. There in your notes. Knowing that, the spiritual gifts is for the edification of the body of Christ. We must think more about others than ourselves, which of course takes agape love to do. We're all selfish people. You cannot think more about others than yourself without agape love because we are born selfish people. I'm about to have a grandbaby next Thursday. <laughs> yeah, you, God is so good. But I guarantee you, that little girl, and I love her already, and she's got grandpa already wrapped around her little finger, no doubt about it, but I guarantee you she's born selfish. I guarantee you. Love suffers long means to have long patience or a long spirit and not to lose heart. Not to lose heart. Someone has said that agape love displays patience and kindness. But then there's another explanation that John Christendom said, and I want to give you this explanation. He says, suffers long is used of the man or woman who's been wronged and easily has the power to avenge themselves, but doesn't do it because of mercy and patience. Mercy and patience. When I was just a little kid, I remember my grandfather teased me and he picked me up and he was a big strapping man and I punched him right in the nose. And I remember him turning bright red, setting me down, kind of shaking a little bit, and went and gave himself a timeout. That was love suffering long. He could have crushed me. He was three times my size. But love suffers long. Love is kind. NIV says, 1 Corinthians 13, 4, that love is patient, love is kind. Right? If you've ever been to a Christian wedding, surely you've heard this verse. Right? Love is patient, love is kind. Love is kind. But what I found out about that kind, it's actually a verb. And I know a little grammar, not much, but I know that since it's a verb, that means it's an action word. It's an action word. Strong says to be kind means to show oneself as mild and use kindness. There in your notes. When we accept God's love given for us, and then we allow his love to flow through us, it is shown through acts of kindness. So love suffers long, or it is patient, and it's kind. Adam Clark said this, they are ever willing that others should be preferred before them. All right, so now comes the kind of do-better talk from the Apostle Paul, and you're going to get the eight knots of love. The eight knots of love, number three. Look at uh, the second part of verse 4. Paul says what love does not do. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity. That's sin. So let's break this down for just a minute. Love does not do these things. The first one is envy. Envy is a feeling of resentment or discontentment 
for something you do not have and others have. I see you have a 67 Camaro. I too want a 67 Camaro. I'm envious. The Corinthian Christians were envious of other people's gifts and callings, and, and so they were constantly, I wish I was like them, and I wish I wasn't the hand, I wish I was the toe, and all that sort of thing. And envy will destroy. Envy, not put into check, will lead to murder, and I'm hoping to display this for you. The best time we see the definition of envy in the Bible is in the story of Cain and Abel. Cain brought an offering of fruit, but it wasn't his first fruits to the Lord. Abel brought the choice fat portions born of his flock. Abel's offering was the first and choicest, best offering available. And by the way, it was a sacrifice of blood. So Abel's sacrifice was acceptable. Why? Because it was offered in faith, we're told. It was offered in trust. When Cain's offering seems to be done at a duty in the flesh. You see, he was giving something God he knew he had to. Where Abel was doing it because he loved the Lord. You see, here's the deal. That sin is not passive. Here's the bad news. It's a choice, right? It's a conscious choice. We choose to sin. And sin separates us from God. But Cain's unchecked sin. Think about what happened. It led to murder. That envy grew in his heart so much that he finally killed his brother. There in your notes, sin was living in Cain like a wild beast who wanted to taste blood and revenge. Then notice, the second one is parade itself. And this is the person who has to be in the limelight. This is the person who wants to be, you know, noticed for my good works. You know, I want all of you, my flesh wants all of you to know how spiritual I am. The third one is puffed up. This is arrogance, superiority, overbearing. Guzik said this, both to parade itself and to be puffed up are simply rooted in pride. Among Christians, the worst pride is spiritual pride. There in your notes, Pride of faith is obnoxious, of face is obnoxious. Pride of race is vulgar, but the worst pride is pride of grace. Then, love does not behave rudely. This means to be abrupt, bad-mannered, offensive. Five is, love does not seek its own. It puts others' needs, again, ahead of our own. Philippians 2.4, we've read this over the past several weeks. Let each of you look out for the good of others and not yourself. This describes an others-centered person versus a self-centered person, which again, you cannot do without agape love, without that unconditional giving love. Number six, love is not provoked. Provoked is to become angry or frustrated or irritated with others to the point of sinning. And how many times has someone, you know, got your goat right before they provoke you and you go, if they just didn't, wait a minute, wait a minute, who's sinning? Yeah, maybe what they did was wrong, but you're sinning. Here's one that's very difficult, and let me know if you've mastered this afterwards, and I'll let you preach next week. Love thinks no evil. This means you don't keep a record of wrongs. 
You know that forgive and forget thing? How you doing on that one? I have a pretty good memory, or at least I like to think I do. I can forgive you, but forgetting sometimes is difficult, right? It's difficult. But agape love forgets the hurts of the past. And now I know there's things that we have to have boundaries in our life. We can't allow a person to come back in and hurt us a certain way. And there's got to be boundaries. But I have heard it said that holding on to bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies from it. And so we got to let go of that stuff. First Peter 4, 8, love will cover a multitude of sins. It's kind of like cocking. Love will cover a multitude of sins. <laughs> Number eight, love does not rejoice in iniquity. In other words, you don't like sin's consequence in other people's lives. How many of us are like, God, get them. They're sinning. I can't wait till they get what they deserve. But there's something even more here. Romans 1.32 says this in the NIV. Although they knew God's righteous de decree that those who do such things deserve death, that not only continue to do these very things, but catch this, they also approve of those who practice them. You see, the Corinthian Christians were proud of their open sin. They would say stuff like, I'm a New Testament Saved by grace, Christian, I can live any way I want to. And by the way, I'm proud of my filth. I'm proud of my sin. Remember back when we were in chapter 5, this is what Paul said. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality is not even named among the Gentiles, that a, father has, that a man has his father's wife. And catch this, and you're puffed up about it. And rather, you should have mourned. A man is sleeping with his stepmother, and you guys think this is the greatest thing ever, that you had the freedom to do that garbage. There in your notes, the things that break God's heart should break our hearts. Sin destroys, so we should not rejoice in iniquity. Okay, since it got really quiet here, Roman numeral 4, let's talk about the positives of the love. Look at the second half of verse 6. But, my favorite word in all the Bible. So it doesn't do all these things, but it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Number one there in your notes, but it rejoices in the truth. Yes, love hates sin's destruction, but agape is overjoyed with the truth. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, 160, The entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. When Jesus was praying for his followers, he, he prayed and he said, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. If you have agape love for Jesus, and because of Jesus, you will love his word. Love stands on the truth because God is agape love, which means unconditional giving love. All right, number two, love bears all things. And bears can mean covers. Notice the word Paul uses. 
all things. All means all, and that's all all means. Love covers all things. Proverbs tells us that hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. Number three, love believes all things, which literally means there in your notes to believe the best about someone. Agape love doesn't instantly believe the worst about people. And this again is a tough one, right? We don't believe the worst about someone unless the facts demand it. Our first inclination should be to believe the best about people, and it's so hard to do. We live in a tainted world. And this means that we have to choose to believe the best. Leon Morris said, love always trusts. And this means it points to the quality that we're always ready, no matter what the circumstances, to believe the best about people. That doesn't mean that love is gullible, but it does mean that we don't think the worst unless the facts demand it. All right, number four, love hopes all things. Hope waits for salvation with full confidence. I love what Spurgeon said. I read a quote from him this week. It says, faith goes up the stairs that love has built and looks out the window that hope has opened. Faith goes up the stairs that love has built and looks out the window that hope has opened. You know, in this life, things happen, right? I mean, we just can't get away from bad things happening to good people. That's the number one question in 24 years of ministry that I've ever been asked. Why do bad things happen to good people? And it's a flawed question at, at, at the jump, right? Because there are no good people, right? We're, we're all sinners. We're born into it. But bad things do happen, even to Christians. This is what Paul had to say about that in Romans 8, 28. He says, and we know, right, we know that all things work together for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We know. And, and I know the questions. How can you say that this death is going to work out for good? How can you say this or how can you say that? I know. I know. But God says it's going to happen and I believe him. And, and then Romans eight thirty one. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And, and so love has confidence in the future. No matter how bleak things look today, agape love trusts God. Agape love lets us know that the future is set. And we hope for the best because we hope in God. There in your notes, a person who loves the Lord knows and trusts that Jesus holds the future. So our future is secure in him. All right, and finally, number five. Love endures all things. This means to remain. It even means to remain while you're suffering. J. Vernon McGee says, love remains strong through the testing. All right, Roman numeral five, last point. Love lasts forever. Look at verse eight. Paul says, love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. When that which is perfect has come, 
when that which is perfect, then the gifts will be done away with. And you'd say, why? And people argue about what that means, by the way. But almost all commentators say that when that which is perfect is fulfilled means when we're in the presence of Jesus Christ. Either at the return of Christ or if we die and we're in our eternal home of heaven. Some people believe that gifts have ended and, you know, all the commentators argue about it. And I'm not going to get into those arguments this morning. But either way you look at it, when Jesus Christ, when we're face to face with our Lord and Savior, we won't need spiritual gifts anymore. Why? Why? Because we have Jesus. We have Jesus. We're right there with him. We don't need it. But this is a picture of perfect love. And if you're sitting there grading yourself this morning, maybe some of you got like a 75% this morning. Maybe some of you even got an 80% this morning. If you got over 80, you're lying to yourself. But if you're sitting there judging yourself this morning, going, well, I do that one good, I do that one good, well, not that so much. I want you to think about this as a picture of perfect love, and who alone is perfect but Jesus Christ. So I want to read this passage to you. I've seen one hand go up, but I'm not even going to call her out from the pulpit because she's lying. But <laughs> let me read this passage to you the way it should be read. Think about this. Jesus suffers long and is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not parade himself. He is not puffed up. He does not behave rudely. He does not seek his own. He's not provoked. He thinks no evil. He does not rejoice in iniquity, but he rejoices in the truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and Jesus endures all things because Jesus never fails. There in your notes, genuine love moves us then to genuine ministry. So how I want to close is what that means to me. You know, in the front of my Bible, it says, so what? In big words like this big. Actually, the page is only that big. But I got so what with like four explanation points there. And because at the end of every message, so what? That's wonderful teaching. What does it mean to me this morning? And I'm so glad you asked. I want you to think about after Jesus ascended back to heaven. Peter and some of the other apostles get tired of waiting for the promise of Jesus. They just get tired. We just can't wait anymore. I'm going back to my old way of life, which was fishing, right? And so if you remember the story, they fish all night, they catch nothing, and all of a sudden they see this guy on the shore and he's cooking breakfast, which I gotta love Jesus. He's into breakfast. That's excellent. But they recognize it's Jesus, and they come making their way. You know, Peter jumps out of the boat and all that. But anyway, this is what we're told in John 21, 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You see, Jesus was telling Peter to serve him at a genuine love for the Savior. Number one there in your notes, 
Real ministry can only take place where love is genuine. Number two, Peter would need the most love because he needed to lead the others by example. Number three, Peter had reverted back to his old lifestyle of fishing, but Jesus called Peter to feed Jesus' lambs and sheep. I started out by saying I'm a firm believer that our society does not have a good understanding of what the word love is. Because society puts conditions on love. And this is one of the reasons why non-believers have such a hard time believing in the unconditional love of Jesus Christ. They've never had it modeled, not even by Jesus' followers. But the love that Jesus offers us is totally without condition. And then he tells us after we accept that to go and serve me with that same kind of love. So Tina Turner's song, what's love got to do with it? It's only physical. It's only logical. You must try to ignore that. It means more than that. What's love but a secondhand emotion? Agape love has such a deeper meaning than Mrs. Turner ever understood. Let me just give you a couple of definitions of agape love as we conclude the sermon. Agape love is not an emotional love. Rather, it includes the heart, the will, and the mind. Agape love can only come from God. Agape love is a seed planted in the hearts of believers that then produces fruit. Agape love is perfectly shown through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Agape love, by the way, is the glue that holds any church together. Lose agape love and you lose the church. Agape love is the love we should have for every single person. Here's a tough one. Agape love is shown through our obedience to Christ. And agape love makes us more Christ-like. Real love is a commitment because love never fails. There in your notes, so it's time to get busy with kingdom business. Remember what F.F. Bruce said, the most lavish exercise of spiritual gifts cannot compensate for the lack of love. Jesus wants your complete and total commitment. And I'm not sitting here banging the drums for you guys to do something in the church, which would be great. But that's not what I'm doing here. I want you to understand that serving the Lord has to come from an overflow of your love for Jesus Christ. If it comes from any other thing, it's useless. If you're doing it to be seen, if you're doing it for position or power, or if you're doing it even because mama wants you to do it, it's worthless. Paul said, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. So Jesus is calling us to this commitment of love. And, and, and what he would say is, I have demonstrated this selfless love for you. Being the king of glory, coming in the form of a man and humbling myself to the point of death, even death on a cross. I have given you the example. And by the way, John tells us that the only way we can love God is because he first loved us. And so if you're sitting here and you're like, but I can't reach that, well, good. You understand. You can't. It takes a move of the Holy Spirit in order for you to have agape love. 
You can't do it on your own. And the only way you can get there first is to receive the love of God and then let the love of God flow through you onto others. Let it spill out. You have to receive the love of God in order to give the love of God. You can't do it on your own. It's impossible. And by the way, if you try to give the love of God on your own, that's called religion. And you'll end up so frustrated. And you'll never want to try again because you've tried it in your own power. And by the way, you ain't got it. You just can't do it. We love him because he first loved us. And then once we have that love, we let that love flow out of us. And that's how we serve. From an overflow of love, if you're serving in any other way, that's why you're burnt out. That's why you're disgusted. That's why you can't do it. And you can't figure out why. Let me help you out with that. So, agape love, that perfect love. Jesus never fails. Jesus is the picture, and Jesus is the answer. And without him, it's impossible to have. The highest form of love you can achieve without Jesus Christ is brotherly love. If you're going to have perfect love, you've got to have a perfect Savior do it in and through you. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. Like every week, there'll be some folks in the back who'd love to pray with you. I mean, we really count it a joy to pray with people. I learn more about people during prayer time and what they're struggling with and what they're going through than any other time because people are busy. I don't get to talk to them that often. So if you need prayer this morning, there'll be some men and women back here who'd love to pray with you. Will you pray? Father, thank you so much that you loved us. What kind of love does it take for a creator to leave heaven's throne in order to be beaten and crucified for a rebellious sinner like me. It's too great for our minds to comprehend, yet, Lord, you say, that's how you love us. And we love you because you first loved us. Help us, Father, to receive your love and then let it flow out of us onto everybody else, Lord. God, love is patient, love is kind. We've heard that a million times, but, Father, without you, we can do nothing. And so, God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would teach us how to love and teach us, Lord, how to be others-centered and not so self-centered. Lord, we need you. And so, Father, as we worship you now, we give you praise, and we just thank you for loving us even when we fail, especially when we fail. So thank you for your love, thank you for your grace, and we love you now in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that you are blessed by this message and encouraged to take the love that Christ has for us and that we have for others to a hurting and dying world. If you'd like to hear more from Living Faith Fellowship, you can take a look at our website, livingfaithclamath.com. You can reach out to Pastor Rich or our staff at livingfaithclamath at gmail.com. We hope that you have a great week. God bless. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you are blessed. If you'd like to find out more info about our church or any other resources like sermon notes or things like that, you can check out our website at livingfaithclamath.com. Make sure if you haven't already to subscribe or like us on whatever your favorite podcast app is. You'll find us at Living Faith Fellowship Klamath Falls. Again, be blessed. Be blessed.